Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Startup Journey podcast by Dreamwell. I'm Kazi, as always. And today, we're not going to have our two co-founders on the call. We actually have a special guest today, Holly Jackson. How are you, Holly? I'm doing great. How about you? Really good. So um, today's guest is actually a, uh, a consultant for companies. Uh, when it comes to revenue and performance, she helps companies essentially. I'm going to let her tell the story, but essentially, she helps them you know, plug the leaks, optimize the revenue, see where they can grow, see what is maybe hindering their performance. And, uh, and she's going to tell us about that today, how she got started. And you guys know, this podcast is about Dreamwell, influencer marketing, uh, software, all about ROI. So this is actually a perfect, um, it's a perfect match to be talking to somebody who specializes in the most important part. So anyway, before I keep going, Holly, how are you? I am doing great. It's so great to be here. And yeah, it's it's so interesting. Uh, people forget how important it is to optimize their revenue and their performance. And as you know, I'm sure when you interview startup people and entrepreneurs, they have a lot of shiny objects, a lot of new ideas, and that's what makes them so creative. But they don't often know how to monetize those and how to stay focused on that next one thing and how to repeat their success. And that's what I do with business owners. Amazing. You know, it's going to be such an interesting conversation. I'm so excited because so we've guested uh, in um, we've guested different content creators, YouTubers, different entrepreneurs. But I'm most excited about this one because of the fact that you focus on the bottom line, which is revenue. And our industry doesn't like I'll, I'll tell you more about it as we go on, but they do not build products with conversion and revenue ROI in mind for the client. So I'm so curious to see like your philosophy on why you think that may be how that hurts companies. And anyway, I'm just so excited to talk about this because it's just something that we're very passionate about. So maybe we could get started with like how you got into doing this specific thing. Cause this is a, this is a specific part of a business, right? It's the bottom line. So how'd you get yeah. into that? Well, actually, I worked in the tech technology industry for a long time, and I've worked across several different industries. And uh, through all those experiences, I also went through four layoffs. And while I went through those layoffs, I got really tired of being a top performer and essentially an intrapreneur, producing new products and services and experiences for companies and then being let go. And so I said, okay, well, why don't I just create my own business? And ultimately, I was really passionate about helping other people who were really talented in one specific area, had a service or a product that helps people in the world and communities, and had that really heart-driven mission or vision for changing communities and having that ripple effect. I also did some deep inner work and discovered I really wanted to help heal the world. And I found the best way I could do that is by working with business owners that have heart-centered missions and positive impacts on communities because you have a bigger ripple effect that way. So what I did was I took all of the things that I was really good at doing from my corporate experience and from my education. I have a master's in public administration. So I really obsessed over what I was good at and the, the experiences that I had. And they cut across five key areas. And I noticed working with my clients that they were leaving so much money on the table. And these were like massive blind spots that you would see repeatedly, not just with startup companies, but with companies that have been in business for over 15, 20 years. They had all of these profit leaks that were just losing money constantly. And for me, it was easy to see. 
And so I broke it down into five different areas. The first phase is really your foundation and having your lead generation dialed in. And that, of course, means understanding the audience and the niche that you serve, the problem that you serve, and how you do it. How do you bring that client, that company, that prospect from where they are, their problem state, to the future state that they want? And how do you keep curating that relationship? And then the second phase is sales conversion and the sales process and really onboarding that client effectively from a prospect to becoming a client. There are so many things that business owners, in particular startup companies, do that are incorrect in that whole process. And they don't even know how to allow somebody else to onboard as a salesperson or a sales lead or a whole sales team to sell for them. So as you evolve your business, if you want to scale and grow it, you have to have a process that works. And then the, fa- the third phase is your customer experience. This means digging into your product pyramid, making sure you have lower tier price products for your clients, knowing what you're going to sell them into next, knowing what their pain points are before they even realize that they're coming up, and also understanding where you're losing your customers. If you have a subscription, if you have a product, if you have a service, are you losing them 90 days in, a year in, two years in? Where are you losing them? Are you getting referrals from them? And then the fourth phase is your employee experience. So even if you're a startup company, you could have a VA, you could have interns, you could have board members, you could have people that are volunteering to work with you. You want to make sure you're creating that amazing culture because your employees, your volunteers, your board members, they affect your customer experience. And you want to make sure you're hiring the right people and that they're aligned with your vision and your mission. And then the fifth phase, of course, is about legacy and making sure that you are building the legacy you want to be remembered for. And that also means dialing in business excellence and continued service optimization over time. So it's kind of in a nutshell, the five phases where people leave money on the table or there's a lot of efficiency and peak performance missing. Amazing. Very well articulated. I have so many questions. Okay. So (laughs) first thing is you, you mentioned entrepreneur. So what were you doing there and like what sort of gave you the, uh, the, like the vision, not the vision, but the actual lens to see the ROI revenue stuff? Like what were you doing and how were you able to like see that and then say, oh, wait a minute, there's a bigger problem going on here or a bigger opportunity? Yeah. So when I was in, I mean, I was an entrepreneur, for example, at Visa, the huge credit card company, everybody knows Visa. And I helped create for their employee experience, something that helped with technology solutions. But there were also applications for how that would directly affect consumers. And they didn't see that. And so I had to actually spell out for them, hey, this is how this would directly affect consumers. So it's a huge missed gap and a missed opportunity. But also sharing with them how the employee experience and the new program that we launched would help optimize our customer experience because employees were happier, they were more likely to stay, they also didn't see that value, they weren't communicating that. And so they actually hired me to be the spokesperson, the person on camera for this program to launch Mm -hmm. it with 80,000 global employees and then figure out how to roll it out to our consumer base. That's just one example. There's a visa, right? Yes. 80,000 employees. Okay. Okay. So, sorry for, for cutting you off. It's just such a, that's such a massive number of people that you get to essentially, were you seeing their business or their revenue models? Like, were you able to see what their business was or were they more the customers? Uh, no, this was the whole company, the whole of Visa. So wow. of course you can imagine that's affecting bottom line. 
if you're helping their employees, you're helping them be more effective, which helps us have bigger reach, help us, helps us reach more merchants, helps us reach more customers, helps us be um, better and more efficient with innovation. Amazing. So, okay. One question is regarding the actual blind spots. You had mentioned blind spots. What would you say the most common, and I guess there's different levels, right? So there's like startup. And I know you said there's a lot of companies, probably 50 years that are around because technology is changing so fast that things become leaks, right? So let's talk about like for the startup, because we have listeners that are startup founders. What do you, what do you see are the most common blind spots for startup founders when they're building their revenue models? And then what would you say the blind spots, most common ones are for like the bigger companies that are more established? Yeah. So for startups, one of the things that I find a lot of startups struggling with is they don't want to choose a niche. They want to serve everyone. And this is a huge mistake. You're actually leaving tons of money on the table because you can't market to everyone. In fact, marketing is meant to be very specific. Um, So there's that challenge. Um, I always recommend doing a starter niche. You can always change. You can evolve. You can split test, but stick with something for three to six months. And if it's not working, sure, let's visit a new niche. But you leave tons of money on the table when you're not reaching anyone because you're trying to reach everyone. So stand above the crowd. What's a starter niche? Is that like a category or is that a type of ICP, like smaller versus enterprise? It's neither. It's simply just choosing something to start with and test that your problem actually works for instead of trying to serve everyone. Because that people have so much resistance to choosing a niche. If I say you're married to this niche forever, they're going to freak out. So I like to call it a starter niche. And then if it doesn't work, we can pivot and change and you know test a new niche. Or we'll split test two or three niches and have different funnels we're using to test that to see what sticks in the market. And then, of course, when you're in a recession like right now, sometimes you have to broaden your niche or change it because your particular ICP has been really heavily impacted. Quite a few people are hiring me right now because what they've been doing isn't working anymore because of the recession. Interesting. So, okay. Because of the recession, yes, they want to um, plug the leaks. Okay, here's here's one I'm very interested in is okay so there's the blind spots which is trying to serve everyone because you need your total addressable market to be 70 trillion everyone needs that for whatever reason but uh what would you say for the other other um other type of business so the bigger ones the more established players way more um verticals more people you know it's harder to fire a division that may not be profitable for you what would you say for them the biggest I don't like to say waste of money, but what would you say the most like non-efficient resources are that are hurting the bottom line that when you see them either cut or make more like efficient helps the bottom line? I think the way I would kind of answer that slightly differently would be the two areas where there's the biggest optimization for companies that are more quote unquote mature would be really looking at their customer experience team. So their account managers, their delivery team, making sure that they have all the key metrics, the KPIs to obsess over their customer experience. Because oftentimes once you're more mature in a business, you forget about how important it is to please your customers. It's ironic. It's crazy to me. But this is where they leave tons of opportunity on the table. And you certainly don't want to lay off those people, but you want to make sure you have the right people and that they don't become complacent. So that's one of the areas. The other one is their sales team. So their delivery team, their, you know, 
pipeline team, making sure that they have really good compensation packages based on what what they're trying to do, making sure that the sales team is properly supported, and making sure that their sales team and marketing team are talking. I cannot tell you how many times they have these siloed divisions and they work together. The marketing team is there so that it's easy for the sales team to have leads and to have prospects and to have conversations and to work that long-term pipeline when people aren't quite ready to buy. But so many times they're not speaking to each other and they oftentimes feel like they're competing. Get your sales and marketing teams to work together or you're losing tons of money. They may be competing because they're both trying to bring in customers. So like, oh, we're bringing them from organic or we're bringing them from software, SaaS sales or sales or whatever, right? So it's weird, but I see why they would compete. Um, okay, here's here's something. What about content? Because I watch, I'm, I'm sure you know Gary Vee, obviously. Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. and Alex Hermosi. And there's so many people in the content acquisition of customers world, which you're in. I'm so curious to see how you view content because they, a lot of them say the answer is just put out valuable content, not just con- salesy content because you're, you're talking about marketing and sales now. So as a content creator myself, when I was making YouTube videos, so I used to be a YouTuber and I used to bring in a lot of deals that would come to me because I was making content and I would take those and turn them into bigger campaigns for zero cost of acquisition because I was just making content. So I've seen it work very well. How do you view content and how does that sort of like when you're thinking about uh, putting the marketing team, the sales team, is that content? Is that do you are you a proponent for content marketing? How do you see that? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about the, for example, if we looked at LinkedIn alone and we do outreach direct direct campaigns on LinkedIn for people. So the short term game is trying to get people on calls. But not everybody's ready to have a call because the problem is not big enough because they don't see the value. So you have to have content for the long game. Just like if you're building your email list, some people are ready to book a call. They're ready to buy. They're ready to be clients. Some people aren't for years. I have somebody just the other day who's been on my email list for four and a half years who just became a client. So your content is absolutely essential for nurturing prospects. And from a sales perspective, we all know it takes at least eight times for over 80% of our sales to occur. You have to ask them and, and actually have an interaction with them that many times. And of course, even before they come into your world as a prospect and sign up for your funnel, it can take eight to 10 times before they're even willing to trust you enough to give you their email address. So absolutely, we're still in the the world of content is king. And there's a book on this, Winning the Story Wars, and how stories are so essential for winning the marketing uh, campaign and winning the marketing war out there, and how actually marketers are recreating all kinds of things in society that are mind-blowing. You read that book and it's just like, oh my goodness, marketers have so much power Mm -hmm. that it's beyond... um, imagination. So absolutely content is king. One of the mistakes that people make with content is they feel like, oh, I'm giving away too much or, oh, there's not enough value or they give too much information. And you you want to be succinct and tight with your stuff because you lose people so quickly. And so it has to be good. I'm sure you know from YouTube, you're a YouTube expert. You want to have YouTube shorts. You want to have YouTube vertical video. You have to stay current on what is relevant in technology for people to actually view your stuff. So Mm -hmm. you need content experts. You need to know what you're doing. You need to know um, and also optimize the, the names of your videos, the names of your content so that they're 
hooky enough that people want to watch and read and find them. For sure. Yeah. And and like I said, for that world, I've seen at least work very well. And what I hear these people talk about is like, teach them something, give them valuable content. Don't like trick them into saying, buy our product and look what our product does. And it's the same thing as a, somebody trying to become a YouTuber. They always ask, how do I become a YouTuber? Like, can I vlog my day? And no, you can't vlog your day because no one knows who you are, which is not a disrespectful thing. It's just the algorithm doesn't know what to push. So you have to give something valuable or like a payoff, right? If you watch this video, I'm going to teach you how to get 20 times the amount of sales. Bam, you're hooked. It's like, okay, I need my payout now. Um, Okay, so you come into a company and you, as a consultant, right? And you see what, where they're spending money here, 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 here. What are the KPIs that are like the ones you look at first to see how to judge the company? Yeah. I mean, one of the first things we do is we look at their product pyramid and the price points. So their pricing models for the services or products that they're selling. And we see where their sales conversions are high, where their sales conversions are low. We look at their funnel and we see the data points for how many people are you know, coming through different funnels, what's working, what's not. Uh, we look at their sales team, who has a high sales conversion, who has a steady pipeline. Where is your pipeline coming from? Uh, there's, I mean, there's quite a few metrics that we look at. These are just several that come to mind right off the bat. Okay. You look at the different pipelines of like customers coming from different, whether it's some from Twitter, from sales, like you said, do you do any cohort analysis work where you look at the customers coming from, Hey guys, the customer acquisition is more expensive from Twitter, but they're staying on longer and spending more money. Like, do you like get granular with that kind of information? Yeah, if the if that company actually has that kind of data, because oftentimes what's really interesting is a lot of these organizations, their data is so disparate and disconnected that they'll oftentimes bring me in and just say, hey, <laughs> what kind of KPIs do we need to have access to so that we understand how successful or unsuccessful we are and we can actually evaluate where these gaps are? And so it's really helping them create those dashboards if they're missing so we can actually look at where the profit leaks are, where we're successful, where we're failing, and then go from there. Now, for the organizations that are pretty organized when it comes to those data points, absolutely, it's easy to get granular. And as somebody who's an outsider who's not in it every day, say, oh my gosh, have you not seen the day 60? You're losing 80% of your customers. And by the way, this is the, the solution to that. Add this one thing and you're probably going to only lose 10%. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's great. Huh. That's so, yeah, of course. Like, a cohort analysis like information or data is not uh, that common because it's much more granular. So you're right. They they don't even, a lot of them probably don't even have that. They probably don't even know what it is, right? They're like, what does that even mean? Well, a lot of people don't even understand what sales conversion is. I mean, the more mature businesses do, but even some of the mature businesses are like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, okay, you have a salesperson who has 20 calls of those 20 calls, what percentage are they closing into a product and what, how much money are they earning? Jeez. Yeah. And that's like, I can't even say that's the basics. That's like before the basics, that's like the purpose of selling, right? Yep. Okay. Perfect segue because I really wanted to talk to you about, um, our industry influencer marketing and how that pertains to ROI. Okay. Because I, okay, I'm going to tell you a business. Let's just say me and you are um, 
are going to co-found a company together. Let's do a fun little activity. Okay. We're going to start a company, a software that is built for brands to work with influencers. Okay. To get revenue from influencers, ROI. So if we're going to build it and I'm sitting down with you and I'm like, Hey, time to build this. What should the goal of the software be for the brand? What would you say? So the brand is using influencer marketing to, I'm sure you know what influencer marketing is, of course. They're using it to make money, revenue. So, and it's not a trick question. And there's a reason why I'm asking this. And you're going to find it interesting, I think. What would you say the goal of this software should be to do what exactly for the brand? What would you say? Okay, I'm taking a moment to digest that the goal of the software for the influencers or for the brand? For the brand. So the brand executes a campaign. They spend $100,000 on our software, me and you that we own. And now they're expecting something. What would you say they should be getting in return or like what KPIs would be important to, uh, to offer to them and for us to keep track as a company ourselves? That's, that's the context. Okay. And the software is to get the, like the software is utilizing influencer networking and influencer branding via these brand companies. So Mm -hmm. those, okay, got it. Um, So they pay them and they're like, okay, I paid you. Now I'm expecting something to happen to me, some value. Yeah. I mean, I would think that it would be per influencer or per per influencer campaign. It would be the number of new followers. It would be the the um, and more engagement part per post per ad. It would be, of course, bottom line dollars. Like if they had an affiliate link or something related to the campaign that they can track how many people are buying that. Um, if you give them like a coupon or a code that they mentioned in a video that's bringing people in, um, how much revenue is that bringing in? Um, which campaigns per influencer are working, which ones are not. Is it positive information? Are we getting negative stuff out there? There's like also social listening is very important. And so if you're getting negative things from an influencer, you need to definitely break off that partnership right away because that affects the brand negatively. So those are just several of the KPIs that I would think would be absolutely essential. And you want to have that in a dashboard where they can see very quickly and simply that what's working and what's not. And also really simple tools for the influencer to be successful, whether it's a coupon, a QR code, a link, whatever that is, so that they're it's easy for them to do their job because we know influencers are also very busy. Amazing. That was a perfect answer, by the way. Do you work with influencer companies? I have, yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, you sound like you sound like a pure expert more than the salespeople <laughs> in our industry, to be honest. Well, so, thank you. I appreciate that. For sure. I mean, yeah, you you you're the expert in this industry. And you're right. Like it's not a trick question in the sense that yes, that's what they should expect revenue and conversion. Now the thing is, is and it's crazy, but in our industry, like influencer marketing, a lot of the, most of the platforms are not ROI centric. Like they are not built for that specific thing to generate revenue. They're built to the other way. It's like, we're going to help you find influencers. We're going to help you find their demographic. We're going to help you do the X, Y, Z, the discovery portion of it. And then I see brands that have worked with a lot of uh, platforms. This is the reason why this is the story of why I transitioned from YouTube to this business is this story. I noticed a lot of brands were not getting ROI. First of all, they couldn't track it. Second of all, when they did, there was no conversion. Had I known you would have done a thousand dollars in sales, I would have not paid you $20,000 in ad spend. So that was going on all the time. So 
they it was not like the KPI was not ROI or conversion. But you said that if me and you started a business together, that would be the bottom line, which is how it should be. So I guess I'm trying like the question is, why do you think that is? Like, why do you th- it's such an obvious thing? Like we should obviously give ROI to our customers. Why do you think things like that might happen where they're not even focused on that? It's on the other stuff, the discovery, the sales stuff. Why? Um, I think a lot of people, when they're going after influencers, they are thinking, oh, it's this, this shiny object syndrome. And like, it's such a big deal. I can't tell you how many people are like, I want to meet Tony Robbins or Oprah or like Gary Vee. And I want them to be my person. Here's the problem. People assume that if you reach those people, that they're going to do the marketing for you. Nobody's going to do the marketing for you. Even if you pay them, if you do not manage the contract or the expectations, nobody's going to do it for you. Let me tell you, people think they're going to you know, publish a book, create a course, launch a YouTube channel, and it's just magically going to take off and they're going to retire on that. I'm here to tell you, no matter what you are doing, if you are not good at marketing, you don't understand your problem, you don't have a strong way of reaching these people and converting them, you are going to fail miserably. So stop thinking that just reaching these influencers, that you're going to suddenly magically arrive in this magical place place that doesn't take hard work and thoughtful strategic influence. But these influencers are busy. So if you don't, one, make it easy for them, two, explain the expectations, three, manage those expectations, and four, have something that actually shows the KPIs and why you might renew a contract with them, why on earth would they do anything for you? They're getting free money. The people are lazy. You have to manage that. Yeah. You got to hold the handhold them literally. It's yeah, great. That's that's perfect. Literally, you're right. That's that's what is manage expectations and then manage the actual process itself to see if it's actually uh, doing what it's supposed to be doing. So, and shiny object syndrome, right? For so many founders, and I think that this industry has it has that glitz, glam, followers, that like clout. I hate that word, but that's essentially what this industry is. You okay? You mentioned something like 20 minutes ago, and I I kept it in the back of my mind, and I want to bring it back up. You said when you're looking at a company and you you enter like their you see their data, their numbers to see if there's any leaks, you mentioned pricing. Like what do they charge their customers? And then you mentioned like do you ha- and then you said do you have a lower price point? Okay? Now, right now, I'm re- I'm reading a bunch of different sales books from like salespeople, obviously, and they're saying stuff like be premium, charge a lot, uh because when you charge less, like if you have a, if we have a steak and I'm selling a steak and you're selling the same steak, I put mine for a hundred bucks. You put yours for 20. Everyone's going to pro most people are going to vote that mine tastes better when it's the same steak, right? Psychology, it's pricing psychology. It's ridiculous, but it's what happens. So how do you feel about pricing? And do you like, how do you, yeah. How do you go? Because pricing is one of the most important drivers of profit, right? You price it higher, your cost of goods sold stays the same. That's more profit. So how do you view pricing? What's your philosophy on pricing as it pertains to everything I essentially just mentioned? Yeah, I'm glad you asked to clarify that. So when I say, do you have a lower ticket item? It's not lowering or reducing your pricing. For example, I sell revenue and performance consulting. A lot of people can't afford my revenue and performance consulting. If that is them, what I've tried to do is solve a problem at a cheaper price point that doesn't give them the whole package, which I do. So for example, I created the program called Easy Button LinkedIn Lead Generation. Because most people that can't afford consulting, it's because they have a lead generation 
retention problem. Their calendar's empty. They don't know how to reach their target partners, their target clients, their target platforms, their target promoters. So I teach them a system on how to do that that's at a much lower price point so that if they get that win, of course, they're going to want to work with me on their revenue and performance consulting because I help them fill their calendar. And if they're anywhere you know, decent at sales, they're going to make money off of that relatively quickly and have a win. So that's what I'm talking about is having your product pyramid where you have your sweet spot of what you typically sell. But let's say you have a client that's not ready for that. Do you have an offering that's going to get past a problem so that they can afford that premium sweet spot solution? It is not discounting your program. Now, also, when you're in a recession, having payment plans is smart. You don't need to have them pay for it up front. Having a subscription model of payment plans is a smart idea. It's not discounting the work that you do. In fact, you can charge more per month, and it, it ends up being more expensive than the whole year-long program and shows them that the value of paying it up front is obviously going to save them money, but at least they have a payment plan option if they want to get started right now and they can't afford to pay it up front. So pricing is very important and we need to evaluate if your pricing is right fit for the market. If your pricing makes sense, if you're pricing it too low, like you just said, you're going to lose your ideal clients and candidates because they're going to think, gosh, he's delivering something that's super shady and is definitely not aligned to the market. So why would I pay that? So we have to evaluate, is it in the right place? Have you done a market analysis? Do you have a solution that's lower for the people that aren't ready to pay for your sweet spot or your premium items? And for the people that do start lower or mid-tier, what are you going to sell them next when you're done with that thing? Because you don't want to lose them. You want to be ahead of the curve and know what's keeping them up at night to help them with that next problem. You, you remind me of something, by the way, really well said. You remind me of a tripwire. You've heard that term, right? Like lower yeah. price item has to be under $37 and then that, 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 right? So <clears throat> it kind of sounds something like that where they can afford some part of it, which is going to be valuable. And then if let's say it's helping you make more money, which is your product, if they make more money, they would be happy to go to the next level and pay even more for even more value, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it depends on the market too. Like my lowest, I have products that are lower, but I mean, my lowest product is typically 2200 because I'm selling a product that is higher tier in the, pro in the pricing scheme of things. Sure. But everybody starts somewhere different. Now, when I launched my book, the lower ticket item was $27 because I'm not having a conversation with that prospect. So you also have to look at the funnel and where you're placing that product and have the right structure of what the customer experience is. So we look at all those things very strategically to make sure it's aligned to the market. You said when you when you do launch your book, you haven't yet, right? Oh, I did launch my first book. I have my second book is in the in the works right now. That yeah, okay. So well, you know what? Since we're talking about your products, I know you have a uh, a um, a giveaway to the listeners. If anybody wants to plug their uh, their their profit leaks or everything you've been hearing today, clearly Holly knows what the heck she's talking about like even more than me in my own business and in my own industry. So if you guys want to get a free consultation and I'll let Holly explain it as well, but go to www.coachhollyjackson.activehost.com forward slash F forward slash nine. And by the way, whoever's listening to this, if it's on Spotify, it's on Apple podcasts, it's going to be in the description, the link there. So click that. And Holly, why don't you explain essentially what they'd be getting better than I could explain it? 
Yeah, and if you have trouble finding it, just go to hollyjeanjackson.com and then there's a little thing that says schedule a call. So if you can't find it, you can find it there too. Um, yeah, so revenue and performance consulting is really if you're ready to you know, optimize your money, you want more profit, you want to figure out how to turn that next shiny object into something that's actually going to generate profit. You have a problem with your lead generation or your sales, or you want to just up-level your business to that next level because you've hit a plateau and you're not, you're not sure how to bust through that. So if you're interested in learning about consulting, not if you're just there to kick tires, because I'm only here to like talk with people that are action takers who want to kick some ass and really just knock it out of the park this year. If that's you, then go ahead and schedule that 30-minute consultation. There's a short intake form so that I'm super prepared and ready so you get the most out of that consultation. But essentially, what you're going to get from that is some very tangible short-term things you can do and some blind spots that you have in your business. Business. And then, of course, if we want to continue working together to develop that roadmap and for you to be set up for success at a deeper level, we can talk about that as well. Amazing. And what would you say the best types of businesses or companies you work with would be? Would that be career coaches? Would that be software businesses, e-commerce brands, all of them? Um, basically I've worked in so many different industries. I would say the only thing that would make a difference is I don't specialize on the product side. So if you're a service-based business, that's a great fit for me. I've worked with tech startups. I've worked with FinTech and EdTech. Um, I've worked in the health space. I've had a chiropractor, a physical therapist. I've worked with a dance studio. I've worked with professional service uh, industries across the gamut, whether it's financial planners, website planners, marketing agencies, kind of anything as long as it's service-based and you're clear on what your next goal is in terms of, I want to have more revenue. I want to affect more people. It's you're the great the great contact for me to work with. Um, the other thing I would say is if your audience is on LinkedIn, I have a lot of strategies that are, that are going to help you accelerate your impact much faster. Amazing, cool. And to end it off on one note, unless there's anything else you want to chat about, is there anything specific that you do that we can chat about, or did we kind of cover most of it? Yeah, I know this is this is most of it. I also like to be very concise and not overwhelming for listeners so that they have like one clear call to action and one thing we're focusing on. And if anything, the the one thing I want you to take away from this is we all have blind spots in our business. That is why I have a mentor. It's why I'm in a mastermind. Because even though I do this, I can't see my own blind spots in my business. So even if you think you've got this nailed, I guarantee you, I will find a blind spot that you have not seen that is t losing you a ton of money or you could earn a ton of money. So I just want to put that out there because none of us are perfect and it takes a community for us to thrive. Amazing. And one, one little mini call to action, you kind of gave one, but I guess one little thing that people can go as soon as they shut off this podcast, they go and do what other than they sign up for your free consultation and guys, it's free. So do it if you want to make more money, but what, what can they do now? What do they go to a specific, like, like see where most of their money's coming from, see what's a waste of money. Like what would you say that's the quick call to action is now just to get started on this path of trying to plug leaks or even maximize and uh, optimize the revenue? So one yeah, little. I mean, I would say 
obsess about your customer experience and start looking at any of the KPIs you have around your customer experience. I would look at your onboarding experience. Are you giving a gift to your customers when you onboard them for a service? Because we know buyer's remorse exists. And the more you obsess about your customer experience and start collecting more data, the more money you will have, the more you can get referrals. And if you're not asking for referrals, start there. I mean, that is your golden bank. You want to have raving fans. Your your customers, at least a certain percentage of them, should be your champions for your business. They should be like, this is the best thing ever. They should be your ambassador. And if you're not asking for that, you are leaving so much money on the table. When we had a recession, my clients are like, what should I do, Holly? Okay, well, uh, first of all, go to the piggy bank, which is your existing partners, your existing customers, your existing previous conferences, stages, podcasts you've spoken on, your mastermind, your business circle. If you're not asking these people for referrals or ideas or what the next thing is, you're leaving so much massive opportunity on the table. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this was so fun to, to chat with you on because you're, like you said, you're very concise and this is the bottom line of business, or at least it should be, I think. And it's something that our industry is struggling with offering to their, to their clients because they're not building it for that purpose. They're building it for, I guess, the glitz and glamour, whatever you, you had mentioned in your words, a lot better than mine. But yeah, this was great. Um, everyone go follow her on LinkedIn. Again, that's Holly Jackson. And you're going to see it's the one that's the, um, the revenue maximizer, profit leak plugger, creator of the peak performance blueprint. And thanks so much, Holly, for being here. I know we, we scheduled once, but I'm so happy we got to do this and share your knowledge with our, with our listeners. And yeah, make sure guys to go check out hollygenejackson.com. Again, in the description here, there's the, uh, the link to actually sign up for the free consultation. And yeah, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Again, thank you so much, Holly, for being here. Yeah, thank you. It was a great, great conversation. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. See everybody on the next one.